0: Well, Paul, as we mentioned earlier in the show, for a lot of people other than grand final weekend, this is the best weekend uh, of the AFL with a top eight teams all facing off against each other. And it starts tomorrow night here at the Gabba with John Ralph's Richmond up against the Brisbane Lions. And John's been kind enough to join us to tell us why Richmond can't win tomorrow night. (laughs) Good morning, John.
1: Hello, guys. So they can't win because Dustin Martin is finally back into that team. They can't win because um, Cam Rayner is out of the Brisbane team. They can't win because Noah Andrews has been suspended. They can't win because Brisbane's defence the last ten uh, uh, rounds of the season has had an extremely worrying defensive uh, profile. I tell you what, you know, I mean Chris Scott has almost spent the entire season almost validating, you know, the, the gains they have made because he knows the stakes if they lose. And he keeps saying you just got to risk it all to, to win it all. And you've got to, to realise that when you do lose that last final, whether it's this week or in a grand final, the, the, the feeling of raw pain you feel is going to be absolutely sickening in the depths of your, your stomach. And so that's why um, this, this uh, final series is so good mm. because the risks for, uh, for the likes of Brisbane, and I would say the likes of Geelong, are immense if they lose. They know that the pressure that comes on them. They know the criticism that will be there. They know that the people will, that choke, will fail or that they have underperformed. But that's what finals is about because the risk is so, um, because, because the upside is so ex- exquisite for so many teams. And I would say that Brisbane is clearly the number one team in regards to the pressure this weekend. Just have to get it done because Geelong, of course, can, can lose to Collingwood and still have a
2: double chance. So, Ralphie, if you've got to, you risk everything with Noah Ainsworth unfortunately out suspended, do they go with the untried Darcy Wilmot? Is he replacement? I think it's um, extremely likely. I'm not going to say
1: it's certain, but I would think at this stage on a Wednesday morning, you would think that Darcy Wilmot will play. And so, you know, a young first rounder and only his first year, he's strong, he's tall. He's tall. He can play that um, that uh, defensive role. I mean, it's almost sick and isn't unusual, isn't it? Yeah, unusual punishment. You, you say to a young bloke, okay, mate, You're making your AFL debut. How about you play on Shea Bolton, the most dangerous Mm. forward, the unstoppable forward in the competition? But have a you know pat him on the back and you just send him out there. Now it may not be that that would be his matchup, but I think it would be at some stage in the game. Um, You know, Richmond has that battery of small forwards there: Morris Rioli, the tackling machine. uh, You know, um, even Noah Cumberland, who's just emerged in the last eight games of of the season, with kick kick eighteen goals. And so, look, I just think they need some defensive cover there. Um, They of course, pulled him out of the VFL game on the weekend. And so I just don't think you do that unless you aren't going to play him. And so, you know, history is littered with, um, you know, famous final stories, the likes of uh, Dermot Burton, of course, coming in and kicking five goals in a, in a final. And I think it shows you need a bit of strut, you need a bit of arrogance, and hopefully Darcy has that because, as I say, at this stage, it would seem likely that he would play against against the
2: Tigers. I think Richmond should be a little bit more conservative than the Lions, though. I wouldn't be risking Dusty Martin uh, (laughs) this Thursday, Ralphie. I think they should hold him back a week. Well, they did.
1: Um, I've been worried about it. Let's face it, you know, for, for those that haven't followed it closely, he's been out for nine weeks with a hamstring. Now, when he first did that hamstring, he tried to, um, you know, get up to speed and, and he tore it again after two weeks. This time has been much more methodical and he's shown a lot more signs of progress. But, you know, you only have to look across the, uh, the nuller ball to see um, Nathan Fife, who has just yeah. been rolled out with a, with a hamstring injury. We might talk about that in a second. You only get one chance at it. Uh, the Richmond Medicos have said that he is now available for selection. As in, you know, they've probably got to pick him. I think they might well pick him, but um, it it potentially could be a very different Dustin Martin to the one that, of course, won all those norms with medals. But I reckon they'll find a a slot for him there. Just uh, just tuck him away in the forward pocket and let him go to work.
0: And, Ralphie, I mean, obviously... uh see it in our memory up here is that comeback by Richmond uh, against the Lions at the MCG a few weeks ago. But subsequent to that, Richmond's form uh, as say, uh, a fan of Richmond. Uh, how have you found it? Well, they've been shaky and, and they have lost um, games
1: from seemingly unlosable positions. To be honest, at Brisbane you know, win probably kickstarted the resurgence. I mean, you know, half-time in that contest, they were down by, I think, 40 points. Uh, I think everyone said that Richmond's finals hopes were officially shot. And then they came from the clouds, and they've built from there, and they've been extremely impressive, and they've won games at times with a leg in the air, with an extremely solid um, profile. You know their defence have got it together. Um, the midfield have you know added. You know Trent Cotchin's come back into form. Dylan yeah, has had an you know, exceptional year. I thought it was really unlucky not to be in the All Australian 40. And so they probably haven't got a lot of chinks in their arm. You know but, um, uh, their co-captain in Dylan Grimes. You know that elite defensive stopper. He's probably the only player out of their best 22 right now. And so that's why, I mean, you look at the form, you look at the money, as Jared Daffy would say, you know, <laughs> Brisbane don't win. And yet, you know, in, in so many finals, there are just wild uh, upsets. I, I just looked I looked to someone like Dan Zorka and there's been so much that has been said about him over the last couple of weeks, of course, with the sledging controversy. Um, you know, the reason that happened is because he got upset, he was playing poorly and he decided to go, for, go the man. Now, of course, you know, the sledging happened from that. So so how does he lead this football club? How does he stare his players in the eye and give them that, you know, Razzie speech, you know, with 10 minutes to go before the first bounce? But more to the point, what does he do when that first 50-50 contest comes? You know, how does he run through the opponent to get the ball? You know, not to knock an opponent over. I'm just fascinated by what Dane Zorko does. We all know he's he's been an elite player. He's had an an okay year that has been checkered with um, with injury uh, issues. What's Dan Zorco going to do to try to inspire his troops? You know, I, I just think it's going to be the, the fascinating narrative from this contest,
2: um uh, You may mention, mention there of of Nate Fife. Uh, how big an out is that for for Frio? Because they've they've been successful this year with him not with him not playing. Well,
1: it's almost sacrilege, isn't it, to think that you know immediately when that news broke last night, I thought to myself, oh yeah, yeah that that will be okay. And that's not to suggest that um, you know Nat fight at his best isn't absolutely you know summed to the hole, but it's just he's been scratchy. You know he, he um, you know he was tight with that hamstring already. He tried to you know um, uh, escalate his training on Monday, and uh, and felt you know soreness again. So he's been out probably for three weeks. He probably won't play any part in this final series. But you know in that comeback game coming back from a hamstring you know against GWS, he was almost unsighted. You know, in the last quarter with Sam Taylor, absolutely dominant, he led him up into a wing and the ball was kicked over his head and, you know, the critical goal came for um, Fremantle. But he was almost playing as a decoy. Um, He just hasn't been able to get that form back and obviously the continuity in, in his body. And so, yeah, I mean, Fremantle absolutely can win without him. You know, you wouldn't have thought you would have said that. It's so disappointing for him just from a personal perspective. You know, the first final for Fremantle since 2015, you know, he's won a couple of Brownlow since then. And, of course, the team hasn't been able to be a leader around him. But uh, Fremantle can, can beat uh, the Western Bulldogs. Um, yeah, another team there in the Western Bulldogs who just have to go across and win. You know, this is a team, of course, that you know took all before them until last year's grand final, until halftime in last year's grand final. And Luke Beveridge plays, um, you know, a funny game. He, he, he selects blokes that you wouldn't think he would. He throws the magnets around. But if the Western Bulldogs lose to Fremantle they will absolutely have underachieved and, and Luke Beveridge will go into next year with awesome well, additions in terms of personnel, but some massive expectations upon his shoulders.
0: And Ralphie, Saturday afternoon at the MCG, uh, Collingwood and uh, the Cats, big crowd, no doubt. I mean, uh, can the Woods juggernaut continue or are they going to come up against Sterner stuff here?
1: Well, well you'd want uh, Geelong to be six goals up at three-quarter time, wouldn't you? <laughs> and that's why it's going to be so captivating, of course, with that run of 13 victories and I think 10 of them under a goal. I mean, Collingwood really have no right to, to, to be here. And yet, you know, uh, this is a, a ground where they have played 14 games at this year. This is a ground they are absolutely familiar with. And Geelong, of course, who played out at the Stadium, have got a reasonable record in recent years at, at, um, at the MCG. It hasn't always been this. So, so Collingwood has. Uh, Geelong exactly where they want them I, I just believe that Geelong is, is significant by, by panels they are significantly the best team in this competition you know, they want for nothing in regards to the personnel, you, know, you look at their forward line, it's got three All-Australians compared to a, a ragtag bunch with uh, rookies in Jack Ginevan and um, you know, Bernie Majacek who's a former VFL defender, You know, they don't have, blue, uh, don't have stars across that line and yet yeah, they just have players who just keep, you know, bobbing up, like Jamie Elliott, you know, who has had so many injuries that we would have thought he would have been out of the game now, won mm. two games off his own boot, in the, you know, in the final minute of the contest. And so, yeah, um, again, the pressure on Chris Scott, the pressure on this club with a, a 10 and 15 finals record since the 2011 premiership, the pressure on Gary Rowan, who is the most maligned finals player, you know, I would think, in the last generation in regards to his output. Uh, you never had a never had a ten-possession grand final. Never had a multiple-possession grand final in, in three of them, and has, has singularly failed to seize the moment. And then on have Paddy Dangerfield, who's had lots of amazing finals, but some pretty ordinary ones as well. And he's been rested, and they've primed him, and they have given him all the time he needs, and he's in some exceptional form. So, so you know, Paddy Dangerfield will run through brick walls. You're not sure whether Gary Rowan will. And you're not sure what happens if you know Collingwood starts surging at the ten-minute mark of the last quarter and their fans just go absolutely berserk. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot
2: to look forward to. Ralphie, I know Collingwood are the team that AFL supporters love to hate. Unless you're you're on them, you're totally against them. But I think a lot of people still admire them. I know I do. And how they treasure their history. Well, interesting story now about the number 35 Guernsey, made famous by Peter Dacos, and now their number one draft pick. Is this right? They, they wear the number 35 Guernsey each year, but now his son wants to keep it full time. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, so Simon Prestigio-Como, of course, wore that 35. He, he,
1: he withdrew himself on game day um, because of injury. and It was just seen as such a selfless gesture that they wanted to pass that down amongst the generations. Um, yeah, I actually asked Mark Anderson, the, the club's chief executive, on Monday about that at the press conference, and he said, we'll park it until the end of the season. Um, I, I just think the history of the Dacos um, family there and the history of Peter, uh, I think there's no reason why, you know, you can't at some style, at times, step a generation you know um you give him 35 the fans love us um he loves us you know it's a perfect little p- bit of history there you-, you might well find another number of someone who's done something extraordinarily selfless and um you know potentially you know start up another um nice tradition there you know at richmond that was the case with um with um trent Cotchin. you know he was supposed to wear i think it's the 17 of, of, of um, jack dyer captain blood he said no i don't really want to do that he went back to nine and so um, yeah, I couldn't think of no one else that would, you know, be more fitting for that thirty-five jumper there. Um, and you know what? Uh, what happens to, to him in this final as well? You know, does he get tagged? He's had a, a, an All Australian type year. He wasn't even in the All Australian forty, and so. Yeah, I reckon if he comes out and has 35 and kicks a couple of halfbacks, backs think there might be more, um, more, uh, yeah, positive in their uh, in their capacity to, to to sort of allow this tradition to continue, but somewhere else because he's um, he's had some kind of year and he's absolutely the kind of weapon that that needs to put significant amount of time into on Saturday afternoon.
0: And the last game we haven't mentioned, uh, a lot of people scratching their heads wondering uh, how uh, Melbourne and Sydney will uh, play out. Have you got a, a firm favourite of this one, John? Well, not a firm favourite, but I've tipped Sydney. I, look, okay. I, I know that
1: Melbourne, of course, have um, you know have probably got themselves back to exactly where they want to be. Their form has been scratchy through the season. At one stage, I think they lost six of ten games, which is just extraordinary when we all thought that they'd just win the, the back-to-back premiership with a leg in the air. And yet, you know, I just think that Sydney's... Um, I've, I've said it a couple of times with their profile. You know, elite uh, intercept backs... Um, a midfield that has got star-studded talent, but he's really tough and aggressive now, and you couldn't always say that. And then their forward line, which has just got, you know, lead small forward, the likes of Tom Papley and Isaac Heaney. And then, of course, you know, the, the biggest figure in the game in Buddy Franklin, but also a support staff with him as well. You know, Sam Reid's had a, a turn-back-the-clock with an exceptional year. So I just think to myself that they, they, don't, they don't fear the MCG. I don't want for much... Um, you know, they pressure the, uh, the opposition into, you know, e- extraordinary amount of turnovers. And Melbourne plays well when they did against Brisbane when they have lots of time and lots of space and they can cut the, the opposition apart. And yet Sydney will deny them that. They'll just suck the oxygen out of this midfield. So, you know, I would say, you know, four exceptional finals, yeah. at least three of them, you know, and mm. we hope that the, the Bulldogs' pre-o game is a, is, a, is a great game. You know, I would think that this is as mouth-watering a, a four-game finals um, first week as we have seen in recent memory.
2: Ralphie, we love having you on, um, but when you join us next Wednesday, we're hoping you're somewhat sad. we are a little bit sadder than we are anyway. <laughs> Isn't that it, though? You, you, you know, you get the drug of
1: premiership. So, won well, three, of course, in 2017, and you think to yourself, whatever happens from here, it doesn't matter. And then you just get to a final like this, and you realise the stakes, and you, oh, all of a sudden, <laughs> uh, as I say, you feel a bit queasy in the guts as well. It's what, it's what footy does to us and what finals footy does to us as well.
2: How old were you when Richmond won their first flag? Uh, well, I started supporting him in 82. Oh, yeah. well, so when you, were, sorry, how, when they won their first flag, as you being a
0: supporter?
1: Yeah, no, I think I was, uh, what was it? It was 2017. So, yeah, I was, I oh, was right. um, 29. I was 39. <laughs> uh, 39, rather. So so, I, I went through 34 years of absolute <laughs> gruff and absolute muck. Uh, and so I'm still a little bit greedy for more guys. <laughs> you want more?
2: Good on your Ralphie. we we'll
1: <laughs> chat next week, mate. <laughs> Thanks again.